Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Helper Show. On this week's show, we talked to Jill Stein, Green Party nominee for the President of the United States. We did it as a live taping in front of an audience at the Brooklyn Commons. In fact, our next live taping will be the day after the election, Wednesday, November 9th, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, also at the Brooklyn Commons, at 388 Atlantic Avenue. Our guests will be Jeremy Scahill and Amber Ali Frost. So you can come in person if you're in New York, or you can listen on the radio live at WBAI. That's 99.5 FM, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As always, you can subscribe to us, rate us, and review us on iTunes, and we would love you forever if you did that. You can follow us on SoundCloud, and we have launched a Patreon. This is a way that you can support us for the free love labor that we put into this podcast for absolutely no money whatsoever. In fact, you're going to hear Jill Stein, but if you want to get the rest of this Jill Stein interview, you can become a Patreon supporter. It's really easy. You just go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And you subscribe for $3 or more, and you'll get the rest of the Jill Stein interview. If you subscribe for $13 or more, we'll even give you video. So go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Check out all the cool bonus content that you get when you sign up at different levels. See you next week when we'll be talking to Jeremy Scahill and Amber Lee Frost. Oh, hey, uh, welcome to the Katie Halper Show, everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming out tonight. We love doing this live show once a month. Every month we do this. It's been great so far. I'm Gabe Pacheco, uh, your lovely co-host, and uh, I'm going to give the floor right now to the one and only Miss Katie Halper. Thank you, Gabe. Gabe Pacheco. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for coming. We're thrilled to have with us Dr. Jill Stein, the Green Party nominee for the President of the United States of America, live in the flesh. In vivo, ladies and gentlemen. The one, the only. Jill Stein. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Oh, can can we get some water for Dr. Stein, please? Oh, tea. Oh, you guys are on it. You do not drink, is that true? It's true, yes. You don't drink alcohol, I mean. I, I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke dope. I'm like really boring at a party. But that's why you're so good at the political stuff. You won't get distracted by the illicit substances. <laughs> Take that, Gary Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that, you heard it here first. Yes, I said that. That's on the record. We thought we'd start with some kind of icebreaker questions before Great. we get into the real heavy stuff. So my first question for you was um, what your thoughts were on cilantro. On cilantro. Yeah. Like, um, dislike? Use it all the time. Use it. Okay. Yes. Are you saying that as a as a health practitioner as an adopter or someone who enjoys the taste of it as as somebody who eats it okay because you guys i'm asking this because you know that this is a you this is a genetic thing it's a taster thing some people hate, ah, that's right g- yes. hate cilantro and some people love it and so to some people genetically it tastes like soap, soap right yes i remember learning that in my yes. bio class that's, what yes, co- that's so right. yeah i but thought that that would be an appropriate way to start the conversation my whole family uses cilantro too including my abuela so there you go all right so cool. does mine. My nana. My uh, bubby. Zayda, what is it? Bubby. What's the Yiddish thing for grandmother? I obviously speak it really well. Nona. Italian. Sure. Whatever. We're all ethnic. Okay. That's it. Go with ethnic jokes. That's the key. Okay. Great. And Beatles, Rolling Stones, or Elvis? All of the above. Yeah. Really? Yeah. A that's true politician. A, I know. That's the most... I was going to say, that may be the most Clintonian answer we've heard from you. Hopefully that will be, yeah. All of the above. Interesting. I'm, I'm Stone's Elvis Beatles. You? I'm definitely... Uh, I, I, Elvis is definitely informs my sense of style. 
He's really into you know? appropriating. And uh, and then I, I like the stones. The stones. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, but if I got to babysit people, I'll put some Beatles on. To put them to sleep. That's what I'm saying. Exactly, yeah. Any favorite song you want to share? Favorite song? Um, Long Train Running, if anybody can remember back that far. Doobie Brothers? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, don't try to Howard Dean her. <laughs> Without love, where would you be now? Over and over and over again? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know that song. I didn't know that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Wow, long that's great. I bet you didn't expect that we'd ask you to sing. Uh, no, I did not. And you just, the improv skills, great. You yeah. yes and us right away. Good job. That <laughs> was awesome. The, is this the first interview you've sung at? Yes. yes. Historic moment, guys. You were here. You witnessed it. Uh, Gabe, do you have an icebreaker question you want to ask? Which third-party candidate in history would you have gone on a uh, date with? They could be platonic. Maybe get just coffee. Oh, man. How about starting with Abraham Lincoln, third-party yeah. candidate? Ooh. So you like them tall, dark, and lanky. You know, not shy about shaking things up. On the yeah. dance floor. And all over, <laughs> yes. And politically. And it's, economically. He had a special yes. move called the abolition. Yes, that's right. And he was called a spoiler, by the way. Oh, yes. yes. Can you, do you want to tell us more about that? Well, the parties of abolition were all called spoiler parties because they were challenging a uh, really corrupt and entrenched system of power like the Green Party is doing today. So we're spoiling a very destructive and corrupt system, and we're in really good company. Right. So, question for you. What stories today in the news did you read, hear about, that made you really angry? From today's news, it's the assault on the courageous indigenous leaders at Standing Rock, which is intolerable and inexcusable. And we have to do everything that we can to mobilize against it. In fact, we did a live stream to help get the word out that we all need to be going to their website, sacredstonecamp.com org to support them in any way you can, including financially, because there's a big legal assault. You know, they are very close to completing that pipeline now. They're really within a quarter mile or so of the Missouri River. This is an outrageous violation of the treaty rights that belong to the Standing Rock Sioux Nation based on this treaty of Fort Laramie, which is the law of the land. We verified this treaty back in the 1850s. It still holds. We're also violating the UN Commission on Indigenous Rights, which says that indigenous people have a right to informed consent before there's any major infrastructure development or invasion of their property. And that has not been done. So this is just a flagrant violation of laws, treaties, human rights, the survival of our climate, our water supply. The real vandals who should be charged here are the executives of the Dakota Access Pipeline, not those who are resisting it. Well, I do think that what you said was very committed and passionate, and you're on the right side of history. I'm a little torn because Hillary Clinton had something very good to say on this issue, too. I want to read this to you. This is a statement that one of her spokeswomen issued. Secretary Clinton has been clear that she thinks all voices should be heard and all views considered in federal infrastructure projects. Now all of the parties involved, including the federal government, the pipeline company and contractors, the state of North Dakota, and the tribes, 
need to find a path forward that serves the broadest public interest. As that happens, it's important that on the ground in North Dakota, everyone respects demonstrators' rights to protest peacefully and workers' rights to do their job safely. So even Clinton's biggest fans were embarrassed by that. It's not a good look when Joy Reid actually made fun of her for that. Dr. Stein, we also had an episode uh, where we interviewed Crystal Tubles, who uh, is an activist down there right now, a water protector in uh, North Dakota. So that's an old episode you guys can check out, too. Uh, Fascinating stuff. And there's very little media coverage for That's this right. out there right. in um, the mainstream media, but it it blew me away when I heard about it because I didn't know that it was that they were bulldozing a sacred space. Yeah, it's like a parody. It's a self-parody. They're literally bulldozing sacred burial grounds. Like yeah. they're digging up people's graves. You couldn't like if I read about this in a screenplay, I'd be like, "That's too over the top." Imagine if we took a United States sacred spaces like uh, the the battlefield at Gettysburg and we just put wind turbines on them. Or, uh, well, if we had to put something on them, that wouldn't I be mean, a bad thing to do. I mean, that would be sensible, yeah, right? right? Like yeah. wind turbines? Yeah, exactly. You're It'd like, imagine okay. if we put homeless people shelters there. <laughs> oh, Yeah, or, or how about we, we bulldoze our way through Arlington National Cemetery? Yeah, that's, that's that mm-hmm. is the equivalent of For what's like going an eight-lane highway. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. we can get more Costco products back and forth. Yeah. I can see the headlines now. Dr. Jill Stein and Katie Halper show Gabe Pacheco endorse bulldozing Arlington Cemetery. No, that's not what happened, guys. Here it comes, yes, you heard it first. And what is going on right now in the campaign? You're at a kind of pivotal moment, right? And there's a certain magic number. Yes, so we are pushing for 5% or more. There's a voter revolt that is waiting to happen. These are the most distrusted and disliked presidential candidates in our history the voters of america are being purposefully kept in the dark there is a media blackout because there is a voter revolt that is waiting in the wings it was 76 percent of american voters that were screaming to open up the debates because they want to know who else they can vote for you know even the supporters of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump don't really support them. They're mostly afraid of the other candidate. And that's, that's actually what polls have showed. Majorities are mostly afraid of the other candidate. So, you know, is democracy a question of who do we hate the most or who do we fear the most? This campaign or this strategy of voting for the lesser evil, it is a race to the bottom between the greater and the lesser evil. And sometimes it's hard to tell which one is which. But we are definitely making this beeline towards oblivion, whether it's the climate crisis that is boring down on us, whether it is the uh, endless wars which keep blowing back at us, whether it is the nuclear weapons The former president of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, actually said last week that we are in the most dangerous nuclear moment in all of history. We're basically looking at the Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse and on steroids right now. And you got Hillary Clinton, who wants to start a war with Russia by declaring a no-fly zone. That, in so many words, is declaring war on Russia. I won't sleep well if Donald Trump gets elected, but I would not make the mistake of sleeping well if Hillary Clinton gets elected. However, I will sleep well by standing up and fighting for every 
ounce of my strength for the transformative change that is within our reach. And just one more thing I want to lay out there. The number of young people who are trapped in predatory student loan debt, 43 million young people and not so young people, that is enough to actually win this election if the American people had the privilege of actually knowing who the candidates are. We not only have a right to vote, we have a right to know who we can vote for. And if the American people were actually informed, we could see a very different result. So what's going to happen? You know, I'm not sure what will happen because every day you think we have hit the bottom of the pit in terms of this election that is just, you know, it's like straight out of your toilet. It keeps getting more and more outrageous and sleazy by the hour. So who knows where this sleaze pit is going to stop. But what I do know is according to a recent poll by Politico, we were actually at 5%. The other polls largely do not count. Most conventional polls are only looking at likely voters, not the unlikely voters in this unlikely campaign uh, that could actually turn this election on its head. Instead of splitting the vote, we could actually be flipping the vote. But at the very least, if we get to 5%, it is a whole new ball game. It means we get eight to $10 million guaranteed for the next presidential election, and it means we have automatic ballot access in most states. So that means we hit the ground running, which we're gonna do no matter what. But if we've hit that 5%, we hit the ground running on day one after the election, and we can build much more powerfully that, uh, that voice of resistance, that political resistance that we must have, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, we need to be a unified and unstoppable movement for the change that we need. And 5% will help ensure that we get there. So what do you do on November 9th? What is the plan for the Green Party starting November 9th? Well, you know, one thing, let me say, that we hope to do just straight out of the, um, straight out of the gate as we begin the next cycle, you know, number one is to continue working with the social movements that really are the engine of change. The movement for climate justice, for indigenous rights, for workers' rights, and for peace, uh, for immigrant rights. We continue to work with these uh, campaigns and to work more closely with them. But also, I think it's really critical uh, as we move into the next cycle to end for once and for all the stranglehold of fear on our votes. It's time coming out of this election where so many people are really torn by this abusive political system. We need to start offering people a way forward with ranked choice voting. That needs to be the civil disobedience campaign for the next four years. Can you explain ranked choice voting? For so real simple. What ranked choice voting is, it lets you rank your choices. So instead of just, you know, casting your dice and hoping that your vote is going to do what you hope it will, instead, you are guaranteed if your first choice loses, your vote is automatically reassigned to your second choice. So there is no possibility of, quote, throwing your vote away or inadvertently helping a candidate that you don't support. 
It really ensures that our votes will be used democratically, small d, to actually uh, bring our values into our votes. Because if we're only voting our fears, then democracy has no moral compass. It doesn't have our values. It doesn't have our vision. But that's what it desperately needs if we are going to get out of here alive. So that's what we got to do. What's your favorite of the smears? Um, I, I feel like there are three general smears. So you're a Putin stooge. There's the you're doing this to get rich. And then there's the, you are uh, an anti-vaxxer. So of the three of those, I'd like to give you a chance to respond to them, but also tell, you which, tell us which one you find the most exciting. I find it really exciting when people tell me that I'm anti-science after more years of science education than I think uh, many of the people in this room uh, are of age. You know, I, I had four years of college, then I had four years of medical school, and then I had three years of residency. So I've had quite a bit of science, and I really get quite a kick out of people telling me that I'm anti-science, that I'm anti-vax, and that I'm anti-Wi-Fi. And, <laughs> and, you know, I believe that science should be allowed to um, actually ask real questions without censorship and interference from corporate America that may not like the questions that are being asked. So I believe that the FDA should not be run by pharmaceutical companies and it should not be run by Monsanto and the GMO companies. I think we have, we have a crisis of trust in all of our institutions, we know this. There's something like a, uh, what is it, like, like a 10% uh, trust rate in our political institutions now, 10%, uh, slightly that more than high. that. Yeah, probably it is high. I think it's like on a level of cockroaches mm. that people have as much support for Congress. So, you know, it's like, well, duh, let's get the big money out of this and return our political institutions, our political parties, our regulatory boards, not just the FDA, but the EPA and the CDC and all of them to actually regulating on behalf of people, not on behalf of profit and the lobbyists and the campaign contributions that are basically doing this pay-to-play thing inside of our regulatory institutions. So, so for the record, do you explicitly um, support routine vaccinations? Yes, I do support vaccinations as a basic infrastructure of public health. And uh, I actually, I'm addicted to Wi-Fi as much as anybody. <laughs> Um, but it is true that there is a certain body of science out there that is raising questions about the 24-7 exposure of very young children whose brains are developing. And all sorts of countries that we consider quite rational, uh, from uh, France to Austria to Israel, and a whole bunch of them are actually restricting the exposure of young children to uh, Wi-Fi. I'm not saying, I'm not taking a position on this, except that we need to allow the science to go forward. The NIH just did a study that raises some very serious questions, and what I'm saying is that we should not allow various uh, profiteering interests to silence the science. We need to let the science go forward and see where it takes us.
the NIH, the National Institute of Health. That's right. They're kind yeah. of famously known for being hippy dippy anti vaxxers, though. So that's right. Yes. Guess so. Yes. If you had to appoint Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump to your cabinet, what positions <laughs> would you give them? Wow. Let me think about that. Um, I would appoint Hillary Clinton to a new uh, department of corruption so she can use her expertise to help ferret it out. And uh, Donald Trump, I would appoint to uh, a new position overseeing uh, sexual predators since he knows so well what they do and how they operate. He'd probably oh. embolden them, though, give them tips. Yeah, you may yeah. want to reconsider that. I want to talk about sexism, because apparently it's something that happens to Hillary Clinton, but nobody else in the presidential race. <laughs> Can you talk about if you have faced any sexism from either Trump supporters, Clinton supporters, or anyone, how you feel aware of your gender in this race? I have not actually been accused of being sexist for running in this race, but I know a lot of my supporters have been accused of being sexist for not supporting Hillary Clinton. But, you know, I think those who take that position don't quite get it. Because being a sexist, actually, is not about the gender of the candidate so much as the agenda of the candidate. And in fact, if you look at the agenda of the other woman in the race and her history, it actually hasn't been very friendly to the cause of women and children when you are depressing minimum wages in Haiti, which were 60 cents an hour. Hillary Clinton led the charge to push those wages down from 60 cents an hour down to 40 cents an hour. I don't think that's a very friendly thing for women, for children, for men, or for workers of any sort. I also don't think it's friendly to women and children to be bombing millions of women and children overseas when there are uh, more peaceful means of working out international like problems. Like Walmart. Like Walmart. Another thing she's into. Yes, I think being on the board of Walmart, one of the most exploitive, predatory corporations out there, I don't think that is especially friendly to the cause of women. I think dismantling the social safety net, aid to families with dependent children, which was you know, the fabric of the social safety net that was essentially torn apart by Bill Clinton with Hillary's support. I don't think that was friendly to women and children to throw a million additional children into poverty. So I think in this race, in order to be a feminist, the good news is you don't have to be a militarist, an imperialist, and a corporatist. You have another choice who actually supports the real issues and substance of feminism. As someone who you're, you know, you ran for president in 2012, you've been in the Green Party for a while now, you've been ahead of the curve, right, in terms of third party membership. 
I wanted to know, though, if you felt something changed and shifted in this election. Because for me, there was something new about this election. I think that having Sanders in the race kind of opened people's eyes up to something that we knew on an intellectual level, like the DNC corruption, how rigged everything is, but it happened on a kind of visceral level. Um, and I feel like I've, I'll never look at politics the same way. Did you see that? Even someone has, who was in the Green Party, did you experience anything like that? Did you see it happen in others? Absolutely. And, you know, in fact, I was in Philadelphia during the DNC just after those, like, really shocking emails had come out showing how the fix was in from the very start and that Bernie was basically sabotaged by the Democratic Party. And, you know, it's like people were learning in real time that you can't have a revolutionary campaign inside of a counter-revolutionary party. Yeah, Bernie That's did everything debate, right. Yeah. He totally went by the rule book. He did everything possible to have created a real movement inside the Democratic Party. And he was, in the end, they used their kill switch on him, their kill switch to shut him down, which they had used on Dennis Kucinich, which they had used on Howard Dean, who was you know, a peace candidate, if not a progressive. You know, remember the Dean scream? Right. You know, and before that, uh, against Jesse Jackson, they had done a smear campaign against him. So it was really clear that this is not what the Democratic Party does, that the Democratic Party uh, does a kind of bait and switch. They create a friendly face to keep people inside the party, and then at the last minute, they destroy that true revolutionary, and you're stuck with, with a Hillary Clinton. Um, and I was in Philly, and it was incredible. How many people here were in Philly? Yeah, so you know, it was like being in a parallel universe. It was just a different world altogether. It was so amazing to see the power and the passion and the vision um, of the Bernie people. I felt like I was a grief counselor, you know? I felt like a social worker, and there were so many people who were trying to figure out how to deal with the incredible abuse that, they, that was inflicted on them. And, and I sort of feel like I am a political therapist that helps people break up with an abusive political relationship and get our lives back. You, we wish we could quit them. We wish we could quit the DNC, right? I quit the DNC, but yes. you know, I think most, yes. a lot of people feel that way. Yes, it opened the floodgates into our campaign because suddenly people realized you really need a politics of integrity in which we can build. And on the day that Bernie endorsed Hillary, the floodgates opened. Our campaign contributions hit the roof. Uh, the volunteers just poured in. Our social media went ballistic. And, and it hasn't stopped. Whatever happens, you know, on November 8th, I feel like we have won because we have found each other and that there is this unstoppable uh, force now. There is no going back once you've seen it. And there's going to be so much buyer's remorse starting on November 9th. You can be sure there are so many people who are going to be ruining the day for what they have created. And remember, who created Donald Trump? The DNC created Donald Trump in the first place. And now they're looking for someone else to blame it on. When you they say the DNC created the Donald Trump in the first place, what are you referring to? So, you know, some of the emails that uh, were leaked showed that this was actually their plan uh, to use their uh, their 
collusion with the corporate media and to do everything that they could to boost the credibility, particularly of Donald Trump, but also uh, Ben Carson Carson and and, and Cruz. 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 They really wanted to lift up the nutcakes so that Hillary would have a fighting chance. So unfortunately, Hillary you know, is very hard pressed because her track record as the queen of corruption just keeps coming out. Bernie could have defeated Donald Trump hands down. But Democrats have no one to blame but themselves. And we are here to stand up and keep fighting and to build that politics of integrity that cannot be stopped. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Do not let them make you forget that. Do not drink their Kool-Aid, not for a second. Well, and now, of course, now, now that Sanders has endorsed Hillary, now that Hillary has the nomination, of course, now people are saying, oh, yeah, Sanders could have beaten Trump for the first time. I mean, yeah. we all said that before. But um, So we have a bunch of questions oh, great. Uh, that so we'd like to ask questions. from the audience. Um, is Memphis here? Okay. Um, can I read your question? You're 12, right? Okay. Wow. How do you feel being compared to Hillary Clinton, even though she's a hypocrite, who still won't talk about the emails? <laughs> We have to engage the youth. Uh, You know, it's like they won't compare me to Hillary Clinton because I look so good compared to Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. I say make make that comparison any day on who is funding, you know, our two campaigns. You know, I'm being funded by anonymous people, basically, on the internet, making small donations. We know where Hillary's money is coming from. It's from the big banks. It's from the war profiteers. It's from the fossil fuel companies. And she is delivering to, to uh, pay back the hands that are feeding her. So, you know, whatever you look at, look at our policies on, on workers' rights. You know, look at our policies on minimum wage. You know, I'm, so, I'm calling for a living wage, minimum of $15 an hour. Hillary waffles a little bit and mostly lands around $12 an hour, which is still a poverty wage. We deserve living wages. She will not disavow fracking. She, you know, she wants to expand the wars. Uh, she does not have a solution for mass incarceration. Uh, nor for the incredible crisis of racism uh, in our communities. We are calling for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission as well as for reparations to get to the bottom of this ongoing crisis of racism. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Uh, I I have a question for you right here. Um, This is, look, if this presidential bid is unsuccessful, what uh, is next for you, Dr. Jill Stein? So, you know, I am a mother on fire from the time I first discovered that there was all this toxic stuff in our bodies that was actually having an impact on brain development of, of children starting in the womb. So it's stuff like lead, but it's also stuff like mercury and PCBs and dioxin and all these other names that you wouldn't recognize in a million years unless you were a policy wonk and a geek on this. But you know, I began to realize that, oh my God, you know, that this this predatory economy that is squeezing the lifeblood out of us, that is exploiting workers, that is exploiting our natural resources and our natural environment, that has really come back to haunt us in a way that it is actually devastating our health. 
And I realized from then, that point on, I could not uh, do anything except fight this system. So, you know, here I am. Um, I don't have a choice. Like many of us out there, we don't have a choice. We are fighting uh, for our lives, as Robin, as Robin herself has said, she's running for her life. Um, you know, we are all fighting for our lives at the moment and for our lives 10 years down the line, whether it's keeping a roof over your head, whether it's getting out of debt, whether it's fighting for health care and tens of thousands of people die every year for lack of health care, which is a national scandal, uh, whether it is the climate crisis or poverty or, or, or wars that are blowing back at us. You know, we're not going to get out of here alive unless we fix this. We are on one small boat. We are going to sink together or we are going to sail together. So, you know, I've been recruited to do a whole lot of different things here in the course of this fight. And some of it is running for office, whether it's uh, for state rep or for secretary of state, for governor, and in the last two elections for president. It wasn't my idea. I was recruited to the cause. And, you know, I am willing to do to serve in whatever way I can serve to help building this movement, uh, which is basically all of us together, contributing our energy, our passion, and our vision, uh, knowing that uh, together we absolutely are unstoppable, we are visionary, we are passionate, and we aren't going away. We're gonna be here, and I'm gonna be with you on this team. Thank you for being a part of it. Let's say the Greens weren't going to win. Okay, hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically, if you're not elected president, who would you appoint if you had to? No getting out of it. You can either choose Hillary Clinton or um, Donald Trump. If you had to choose one of them, because one of them was going to be president. Gun to your head or maybe drone over your yeah, head. Yeah, exactly. Right. Drone over your head. If, if that's a pro-Hillary statement from him. Um, uh, death penalty for, um, for Central Park Five. Uh, if it's Trump. Anyway, that didn't work out that well. Okay, to me it did. So yeah, if you had to, if one of them was going to be the president, or else, if not, they would combine together and create a mutant um, that would have the worst of both of them. It's a lot of pressure. So, you know, uh, I think... What does Jill have to say about that? What does she have to say about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, BDS, boycott, divest, sanction? Does she define Trump as a neo-fascist? And what keeps her so healthy and energetic? To find that out, become a Patreon supporter at the $3 a month level. And if you want some video, which is great because we make funny expressions, we even high five, just become a supporter at the $13 level. That's not the only thing you get. You get bonus content. You get a mug, a Katie Halper mug. Who doesn't want one of those? Okay, we will see you next week when we'll be talking to Jeremy Scale and Amber Lee Frost.